Amen to that. That last verse there said, one day we will cross that river and we will see him and we'll know he reigns. There's a confidence in that knowing someday. But there are many of us who have seen him work in our lives, who see him even today, and we know that he reigns. Having said that, there are all kinds of stuff that comes our way that will try to distract us from the fact that God reigns. Do not let yourself be fooled. God is in charge. He is in control. He loves you and he loves me and he loves um, all of us, all of us who are gathered here today. We are glad for that. I forgot to dismiss the kids. Look at them looking at me. So kids, up to the sixth grade, don't let me get to preaching before we dismiss you. Make their way back to Children's Church. I'm thankful for your participation in the service so far. And I trust that as we add God's word, or as we now look to his word, that we will be encouraged as well. Would you bow with me one more time for prayer? Father, we would ask that you would allow us to gather around your word right now. We thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you for the wisdom of it. We thank you that we can privately open it and take it in and experience the teaching of the Holy Spirit as we study it. And we praise you that there is something very, very special about when believers join together corporately to study it. And I would ask for that special teaching during this time. The Holy Spirit clearly obvious. Help me as the speaker to not get in the way. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ and allow us to know you better today because of our time in your word. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When it was mentioned earlier about spring break, there was a mix of emotions that took place among people hearing that announcement. There were some kids, and Greg mentioned this, there were some kids that were saying, that's great, spring break is coming. They were excited for that. There were some parents who are not feeling near as excited as that as they have to deal with what they're going to do with their kids for that week. When we think of school and we go back, um, so some, most of us are out of school already, and we go back and think of those times that were enjoyable and those times that were a challenge, perhaps maybe your mind goes to a certain subject. The old joke that oftentimes kids will say when they get asked, what's your favorite subject? A lot of them will say, recess is my favorite subject. Or maybe some will say, well, lunch has got to be my favorite subject. That was the case when I was a young person. When you start to examine the subjects, oftentimes it might be your favorite or it might be just a narrowing down, which is your least favorite, and then mark them off the list if you did not enjoy the school experience as much. And so if I could ask you just to wander back in your minds and think of your favorite subject or your least favorite subject, that will be helpful for us as we start our time in God's Word today. Perhaps, and don't raise your hand, but think of your favorite subject. And I wonder how many of you had a favorite subject of history. History oftentimes is one of the favorites among people. They love looking at that and learning from it. I wonder how many here have a favorite subject that is English. And I also wonder why their favorite subject would be English, if it is. I wonder how many here enjoy literature, enjoy that as a subject. 
And of course, one of the core subjects is the subject of math. I wonder if there are very many among us whose math, whose favorite subject was math. Math is unique because with math, you cannot miss a section of math and fail that and not understand it and then move on and do well in the next section. Math is a building subject. You have to have the foundations down before you can move on. And I can remember going through some classes when I was younger, and whether it was algebra or algebra 2 or even geometry, it seemed like they all started the same. They went right back to these basics, and I thought this is exactly what we learned last year and two years ago for the first sections. And it's because they would give you a refresher because everything you were about to learn built on top of that. We have transitioned in our study in the book of Ephesians. And we have gone from talking through and studying through the first three chapters, which tell us who we are in Jesus Christ, to the last three chapters that tell us how we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. These were put in this order for a reason, and you need to understand that. And so today, wonderfully, we come to a place where we can look at the first thing that we are told that is practical about walking in a way that pleases Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you not to try to skip ahead. You can clearly read the entire book, but there are some topics that we will cover in the next several weeks that might be of great interest to you. Raising your children in a way that would point them to God. We're going to cover that. Getting along with other people who are not necessarily the easiest to get along with. We're going to cover that. How to have success in your marriage. We're going to talk about that. Feel free to read ahead But we're going to begin with the first thing that is mentioned in this wonderful practical part of the book today. When we look at Ephesians, um, if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're not going to cover the first 16 verses today, but I will let you know that the first 16 verses all focus in on one thing, and that is unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, teach on unity. Now, if you've been part of this study, you'll remember that the Apostle Paul has just finished up a vivid picture of no longer being divided between two people groups. Do you remember which they were? It was the Jews and the Gentiles. He was working very hard to let them know that everyone who's a Christian doesn't have to become a Jew and everyone doesn't become a Gentile. But instead, God has created something new in the church, something that was a bit of a mystery from those. As we study the Old Testament, we do not see the church referenced a whole lot. It was a bit of a mystery, and actually the book of Ephesians calls it that in a number of places. And so we're about to get a very practical lesson in this area of unity. Having said that, very much so, we are a people Whether you know it or not, we are a people who like, we like the practical, but some of us, especially in America, we like the the bullet points, don't we? Just, just, you know, cut to the chase. Give me the bullet points, what I need to do. I talked to somebody just on the phone this morning, and there was something that I wanted to ask them, 
And I was talking about something else and then about something else. And they actually interrupted me in a wonderful way. And they say, what are you trying to say? Just ask me what you're trying to ask me. And that was refreshing for me because I enjoy it when we can get right to the heart of the matter. I can remember years ago having a Bible study with a friend that ended up um, coming to Christ wonderfully learning of the grace of Jesus Christ and asking Jesus to forgive him and save him. We were having a Bible study so that he could grow and that's important for new believers and non-new believers. It's important for everybody. But at the end of one of our studies, he just caught me and he said, hey, hey, before we go, can I just ask you a question? And it was in this flavor of cut to the chase, kind of. He said, would you just give me the list? Is what he said. And I I was kind of confused when he said that. The list, you know, just give me the list of the things that I need to do now. Because I'm a Christian. I've been saved, so give me the list. And I had gone through that a little bit in my head. And it would have been very, very easy for me at that point to give him a list. Sometimes we will go through that thing I heard years ago. I remember the person that I heard say this, you know. Well, easy. Just don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do. Uh, You know, just keep that list, and then you're good to go. Well, this guy was violating everything on that list, except for I think the girl that he was dating didn't chew and didn't smoke, I think. When we think of a list, it's easy for us to grab a hold of that. But very much so, as we look at this first section here, it's not that easy. You cannot necessarily get to the end of a day and say, check, got that one done. I took care of that. I'm good to go. The Apostle Paul, when he writes here, he does not give a spiritual list of things that we have to do right off the bat. He does not say, okay, now that you're saved, you need to join the choir. You need to start eating at Chick-fil-A now. You need to make sure that you um, are doing 25 spiritual push-ups a day. That's not what he says. So where does the Apostle Paul start? I've already mentioned in chapters 4 through 6, he's going to cover a variety of areas, but that is no accident that he spent the first three chapters telling these believers and telling you who you are in Jesus Christ so that you can always return to that. Because when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to raising kids, you're going to get confused. You're going to question the decisions that you've made. And so you need to always make sure that if something comes up that is, feels like turmoil, you revert back to this foundation. Having said all of that, it is no accident what he begins with here. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read verse number 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner, there's another mention of him being a prisoner, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called okay so the right question here is the bigger question leading us into these next chapters is for the christian how do i walk worthy how do i do this how do i walk in a manner that is worthy of everything that we that we have just learned in the first three chapters and he gives us here some something familiar 
He starts with, in these first 16 verses, telling us to always keep high in our thinking the area of unity. Unity in our relationships, and I think it's clear, unity in the local church. This is what he starts with. You need to make sure you have this down. There must be unity in the fellowship. And then he gets more specific in the next couple verses because then he tells us in order for you to have unity, and he lists four graces. If you're taking notes, one, two, three, four is how we'll do it today. Pretty easy. We won't go through a big chunk of Ephesians today, but I think it is very much so worth our time to stop and focus in on these. Let me read verses two and three, and then we'll spend the rest of our time covering those. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So as we look at these here, we actually find there's four, but they break down easily into two pairs. And so if you're taking notes, the first two go together very clearly, and the second two go together. Let's cover number one, humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. When we think about things that we can get prideful over in this world, there are some things that jump right to the top of our minds. We can get prideful about our minds. We can get prideful about our riches, how much money we've been able to accumulate in success as far as finances. Also, we can get prideful about our strength. And there's a great verse in Jeremiah 9, where it says this in the area of humility. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, so there is a place to boast, right? Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. That's Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. When we think of this area of humility, most of us likely are familiar with the idea that this is something that we should be shooting for. This is an admirable trait, humility. But can I suggest to you, if earlier you would have said your favorite subject is history, if you go back and study history a couple thousand years ago, it was not commonly thought among groups of people in the public that humility was an admirable virtue. Humility was not something that people said, oh my, what a humble person. It wasn't something that they said, I want to be more humble this coming year. That wasn't it at all. In fact, humility was thought of a couple thousand years ago in a very negative way. And I can give you a little quiz right here at the beginning of this to see if you can remember who might be the person that was the turning point in changing that thought of humility. Who would be the very first one that would speak about humility and meekness, not in a derogatory way, but in a positive way. And it was none other than Jesus Christ himself. The meek shall inherit the earth. 
Jesus taught these as virtues that we should, should emulate. And the Apostle Paul gives us the exact same idea. Back 2,000 years ago, when someone thought of humility, they would think of it as someone, and this was the, the verbiage that multiple commentators would say, it marked the absence of self-respect. And we can understand that, right? When you think of someone who has no self-respect, they do something and you would think to yourself, don't they have any respect for themselves that they would go and do that? That's the picture of how people thought of this word humility. Today we might say, you know, it's, it's just not civilized what you're doing. We live in a civilized culture. You need to not be doing that. Like a southerner who would say, you know, no self-respecting southerner would ever put syrup on his grits. It's just not civilized. You wouldn't do that if you're a true southerner. When we think of the word humility, we think of it and lift it up. You might even pray and say, God, would you make me more humble? Which, as a lot of you know, that's a dangerous prayer because he will answer that prayer in a way you might not be expecting. We think of that as something that's a good virtue, but this was a change, even when the Apostle Paul would write these words. And yet, Paul lists it, lists it very first in these things in order for us to have unity. You and I, have nothing to boast about except that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people that put on a great show. They have a great mind and great riches and great talent and great strength. And you and I have nothing to boast about except for what the Apostle Paul said. We boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Total humility is what we need to be aiming for. And that's a good thing. And it's going to help us to speak to, to go to unity in the church. And humility pairs well with the second one, which is gentleness. Gentleness pairs with humility because gentleness is an effect of humility, of true humility in our lives. Let me just start with this. Gentleness is not just a personality trait. Many people think that, and there's no doubt that some individuals might seem to be more gentle. They might come off as more gentle. Even individuals outside of the body of Christ might appear to be very gentle. And there's no doubt that many of us are built differently. But gentleness is not just something that Paul mentions. If this is how you're built, then go with it. It's a command. If you follow Jesus Christ, you are commanded to conduct yourself in a gentle manner. And gentleness is an effect of true humility in our lives. The vast majority of people do not respond in a gentle way when they're being opposed. The vast majority of people, when they are being corrected, they do not respond in a gentle manner. Now, do not confuse gentleness with weakness. Don't do that. If you are being gentle as the Word of God teaches you, it does not mean that you're just a doormat. That's not the idea. It also, and I can read some of your minds already, it also does not mean that you're manipulative. 
I'll be gentle right now, but I'll get my way in the end. That's not the idea. When you have humility that permeates your life and it leads to gentleness, you're not going to work to manipulate. Also, you're not going to be indifferent. If we're going to have unity in the church and unity in your relationships, we cannot be indifferent and we cannot be cowardice. The individual who has learned gentleness, he can get angry. You did not mishear me. The one who has learned gentleness, you can get angry, but you do not get angry at what you, what's important to you necessarily, but you get angry at what is important to God. Be ye angry and sin not. That is a study for some people. And it's also a verse that many people misquote. The Bible tells me that I can get angry and not sin, so I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. Can I suggest to you that when you get angry, it needs to be at the things that offends God, not the things necessarily that offend you. Where there is humility, there will be gentleness. It's a non-retaliatory mentality. That's hard to say, by the way. It's a non-retaliatory mentality. I'm not going to retaliate. And you're not a doormat. So how do you explain that? You're not a doormat. You don't retaliate. Can I suggest that instead it comes out of love? Because you love someone. You love them enough not to bite their head off. You love them enough not to go down a direction that they shouldn't be going gentleness is going to go so far in leading us to this area of humility. And not to just be repetitive, but if we're looking for examples of gentleness, we have to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at Christ, and none of us have been able to see him yet face to face, we will, be, we will see him face to face one day if we're saved. But we've not had a chance so far in this life to see him face to face or to hear his actual voice. But for those who did, and for those who wrote the record of Jesus Christ in his life, there was something that came up repeatedly in the life of Christ. It was something as he would travel and go throughout those holy lands, and as he went from one place to another, there was something that happened on a regular basis. And there's something was bothersome to the disciples. They very quickly said, the master has no time for children. Jesus Christ was the picture of gentleness. And the wonderful example of that is that children would flock to him. They wanted to sit on his lap. They wanted just to be near him. And they would not do that with someone who was not gentle. We need to have gentleness in our lives. Number three, and this is the first of the second pair, is patience. Patience. The root meaning behind the word patience here in the New Testament actually means long-tempered. Long-tempered. It means you don't blow up. Now, later on in 426, you can see right there where it says, um, it says, be angry and sin not. And in 4.32, it says you have to forgive. Let me give you three quick sub-points under this one of patience. 
A, patience is an attitude that never gives in to negative circumstances. I'll repeat that for those of you taking notes. Patience is an attitude that never gives in to negative circumstances. Are you able to avoid all negative circumstances in your life? You can give it a shot. We do, don't we? We we do everything within our control to develop our lives, maybe our relationships, even our homes in a way where I have control of it and nothing is going to surprise me or be negative. Having said that, it's a guarantee. Negative circumstances are going to come, but how you respond to those is your choice. Are you going to respond with patience? This is the picture that came to my mind. Maybe some of you have had this experience. When I think of an individual getting scared, um, you know, it doesn't happen too often. We're all, we're all grown-ups here, most of us, right? We don't get scared too often. Um, when you are in, I've spent a lot of time um, in church buildings, and oftentimes when I'm walking through the church building throughout the week, there is somebody who is vacuuming, all right? And so it has been my practice and my experience. And by the way, I started out vacuuming. When I was just a teenager, I vacuumed the church um, where I grew up at, and it was a great opportunity for me. But there's something about that loud noise of a vacuum that drowns out other noises. Now, most of you haven't been walking through church probably as much as I have, but perhaps you've been in your house, and someone is vacuuming or doing something that makes noise, and you're a room away or maybe two rooms away, and so you call out their name. Hey! John! And they don't respond. And you're doing something and maybe you can't get up and so you call out louder, Hey! John! And they don't respond. And so you, starting to get a little bit impatient, call out even louder, Hey! John! No response. So you get up in your frustration You walk to that room, they see you, they turn off the vacuum cleaner, and what do you say? Do you say, hey, John, just like that? Oh, no, no, no. You say, John, just like that. No offense to anybody named John that might be here today. Here's the idea. Very much so, you have something going on in your head. You're frustrated because they didn't respond. Don't they know the importance of the reason why you're calling them? And many times, they are not in that same place. I see this every week in church. Because I'm coming to church from a certain viewpoint. I've already spent a lot of time thinking about today and our lesson in God's Word and the preparation for that the songs and the order of the service. And I come in with all that in mind and somebody else comes in and they say something that is a reflection of what they've been experiencing for the past day or the past week. And I have to remind myself, oh, they're not in the same place that I am. I've had all this time to think about this. And many of you understand, you're just coming in from this place and you're blessed to come in to get away from the world and hopefully to sing praises to God and be encouraged by that and to be encouraged from God's word. But understand when you walk through life and if we're going to have unity in our relationships, 
If you're going to have this, you need to approach others with patience. So in the last two, I'll cover very quickly. The first one, patience is an attitude that never gives into negative circumstances. B, patience refuses to respond with bitterness to others. Patience refuses to respond with bitterness to others. And some people think they have it licked when it comes to this area of patience and bitterness when they don't snap back. It was success. I didn't sock him in the nose, so it was a successful day, some people might think to themselves. And yet here's what happens, and here's how smart our enemy is. He'll allow you to suppress that and to maybe even think you got victory for a moment. And you take it and you put it right down here, down deep. And that individual doesn't even know how you feel, but it's right down here, down deep. And the next time you see them, they talk. They, they have the nerve to talk like there's nothing wrong and nothing's going on. And they don't know that you have something that's down deep. True patience refuses to allow bitterness to take root towards another person, especially towards a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And then number three, patience never questions God. Patience never questions God. And I think there can be a place when we are young Christians where we just say, yep, I trust that God's got everything under control. And I also think there's a place towards the, the end of a mature Christian as we have learned and learned and learned by one experience after another that we never question God. And when something happens, and we go, what? We have been through circumstances that point us to trust God. And here's the good news and the bad news. Are you ready? Oftentimes, God will reveal what he is doing during our lifetime. The old expression, hindsight is what? 2020. I can turn, oh, look what God was doing there. I just, Tina and I talked with a couple last night, and we were talking about hindsight and how God was clearly involved, putting a stop to this, giving a green light to this, and what God was doing, and how he grew us through that. It is oftentimes through life's experiences that we learn not to question God. You don't have to say, I understand completely, God. You don't. You can call out why. You can ask God to change things. That's okay. But in the end, if you're going to be patient, not just patient with others, but true patience never questions God. This is the kind of patience that was displayed by Jesus Christ. Look at him. He keeps coming up in our sermon, doesn't he? Jesus Christ was patient. We're looking towards Easter. Many of you, if you're like me, will have a habit of going through that Easter story, not only the resurrection, but also the crucifixion. And you'll come across this area where Christ was on the cross. And when Christ made a request on the cross, here's what it was. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you are not studying the example of Jesus Christ, you're gonna fall short in your walk. Study his life and see that he was the picture of 
patience. And then last, tolerance or loving tolerance. Patience produces loving tolerance. The Bible says, bearing one another in love. So understand, in relationships, it's not just the idea that you're just gonna tighten up and hold on until you get through that tough spot. That's not what it is. It's not the mentality, man, I thought that guy would never leave. No. You are called to love your brother and sister in Christ in a way that reflects the love of Jesus Christ. Now these all together, when we look at all of these, these are going to lead us to something that is beautiful. They're going to lead us to a church. They're going to lead us to relationships that are pleasing to God. And the world, so don't miss this, they can take these virtues. You can take the virtue of humility, practice it outside the body of Christ, in the workplace or in school or wherever, and you can still benefit from it because this is something that's a principle of God. And you can practice patience and you can benefit from it even outside of the body of Christ. You can practice loving tolerance and benefit and you can practice gentleness. I love that Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, had just taught a very valuable lesson to Peter. Peter, who many of us, myself included, can relate to very well. He put his foot in his mouth on a regular basis. He was quick to respond and react. And the Lord Jesus Christ was very, very patient with Peter. And Peter, I think, I think Peter thought he was getting it at one point. And he goes to Jesus and Peter was, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what his mindset was, but he's thinking, okay, this dude does me wrong. This dude offends me. I'm going to forgive him. It's the right thing to do, Peter would think. All right, dude does me dirty a second time. I, th- I think it's the right thing to forgive him again. And I think Peter had this conversation worked up in his head when he went to Christ. And I think Peter thought he was doing pretty good when he went to Jesus and said, Master, teacher so if a guy offends me and it really hurts my feelings and I'm really bothered by it and Jesus what if I forgive him Jesus this might throw you a little bit what if I forgive him seven times for the exact same thing and we knew how Christ responded not seven times Peter but what 70 times seven. That's how many times. That's the example that Christ gave. Very, very quickly, let me give you some things that we can do. And really, there's, this, this covers a, a broad area because the first thing I want to ask you to do is to continually remind yourself of the importance of unity. The longer I am around, the more I am convinced that the devil has at the top of his list of effectiveness Not when it comes to keeping people from Christ specifically, but when it comes to keeping people that know Christ effective. At the top of his list is divide and conquer. And so if you want to be in a church that is glorious and effective and wonderful, you need to constantly remind yourself of the importance of unity among God's people. And then next, Keep before you the basis for Christian unity. 
If, if this is your first time in this study of Ephesians with us, if you want to keep B here, letter B, you need to go back and read the first three verses. See what you are in Christ. And then finally, be alert to the occasions in God's word when these four graces are taught. You're gonna see them constantly. Patience, gentleness, humility, bearing one another. You're going to see these things taught again and again. Let me close with this illustration. Years ago, I was talking with a woman. It wasn't a woman in this church. It was in a, a different church. And I always recognize that there are three sides to every story. Do you know what I mean when I say that? There's this guy's side, and there's this guy's side, and there's probably what's correct. So I've learned when I hear one side of something to understand there's likely another side. And oftentimes, I'm going to have my own process of thinking through something. I sat in the foyer of a church on a weekday, and I listened to a friend of mine as she talked about something that went on between herself and some other Christians. And as she talked through this, and she talked about the attack, and she talked about the sin, and she talked about this, that her husband was on the receiving end. To the extent that their son, who was young, couldn't sleep in his own bedroom alone anymore, he had to come and sleep on the floor of their bedroom because he was so terrified of these other Christians and what they had done. And as I didn't have a night to think about it, but I needed to respond right away, the only thing that I could think to say to this friend of mine was this. What those individuals did had absolutely nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ or the church of Jesus Christ. When we go through our lives we have to have this foundation of who we are in Christ and we have to have this foundation of walking with humility and with gentleness and with patience and forbearing one another in love because if we do not have this, when these negative circumstances come up, you might have a knee-jerk response that you might regret. You might have something that you will do or you will say or even an action. And I think in this situation, people responding were responding not with that foundation of who they are in Christ, but with a how can I get done what I want to get done? And they move forward and they pushed aside anything that spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just encourage you with this. Nobody starts, nobody starts in that place. It starts in these areas of allowing bitterness to build up within you towards another. It starts in these areas of thinking yourself better than the one down the aisle. It starts in these areas of not demonstrating the love that Christ showed to you. And we don't say it out loud, but we get in our heads, well, I deserve the grace just a little bit more than they deserve the grace. And when you remind yourself that you are no better than anybody else, and then we walk with these four graces in mind, 
This is how Paul started. You want success in your marriage? You want to have great help with raising your kids? You want to have um, good helps as far as doing good on your job? You need to start with these graces here. And then we march forward. And I'll tell you this, there is nothing that scares the devil more than a church unified. It makes him shake and he wants to distract and he wants to pull you away. And how beautiful God's plan is for us to reflect none other than God the Son, Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Patient Father, merciful Father, lovingly enduring Father, and Father who was so much of a state of humility that you gave up your Son to be sacrificed, we call to you now. We ask for these traits to be not only overall throughout our relationships and our church, but specifically that you would be building spiritual giants and they would see that that begins by kneeling and bowing our heads and treating others with love and respect and serving. And we thank you that you treated us in this beautiful way. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through a stanza on the piano. This is a chance for you to pray. There's some folks that I don't know here today. It could be that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You can even during this time ask God to forgive you of your sins, ask you to make you his child because of the work done by Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. There were a lot of other things that we covered today. Maybe you want to pray and talk to God about one of those things that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you about. Take just a moment to pray.